This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3598, for Wednesday, the 18th of May, 2022. Today's show is entitled, Slack or 1532-bit operating system from day one. It is hosted by ZenFloater2 and is about 63 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is, the pros of using a Slack or 32-bit operating system. Hello, boys and girls, from your favorite magical forest squirrel, former human being converted into squirrel in the 1960s by aliens, here for another podcast and on Hacker Public Radio. And I think what our subject today is going to be Slackware Linux and why I'm using it right now. Why do squirrels like Slackware Linux? Well, if we go to the wiki on the internet that covers the subject of Slackware, we see that Slackware was first introduced in April of 1993. I happened to get involved with it when I walked into a, uh, a computer store, a large computer store the size of a grocery store in the Houston, Texas area. And I think it was the fall of '93. And they had come up with um, a box set of Slackware for, I don't know, it's around $100. And I bought it. Because at that time, I was uh, beginning to work with a lot of Unixes. And uh, SCO was um, one of the Unixes that we were working with commercially uh, on in business ventures. And I thought it would be cool if I could have my own lease of Unix, but I didn't realize at that time that Slackware was based on Linux and not Unix, and the two are different as part of my learning lesson. Um, that was also the time that uh, I learned, uh, you know, at the beginning of the 90s, uh, how to get on the internet, and that was with uh, DOS and Windows at the time, Windows 3.11. So trying to get Slackware Linux on the internet was quite an experience until I found out about a program called WVDAL, which made it easy. But uh, let's see, I still have that box set of uh, original Slackware here around here somewhere. I think it's out in the garage in one of the boxes. Um, but at any rate, uh, version one was released on 1993, July 17th. And it had kernel version 0.99.11 alpha. And um, I was thinking I either got that one or the 99.13 kernel with version 1.1. I, I don't really remember. It could have been 1.1. It was a long time ago. I'll have to go see if I can find that box and look that up sometime because it's still sitting out there, you know. Uh, Slackware is nearly 30 years old. It will be 30 years old come April of next year in 2023. All right, in 1994, July 2nd, uh, they released version 2 of Slackware with a 1.09 kernel. Um, Slackware 2.1 was released in 94 in October 31st. Again, a 1.1.59 kernel was released on that. 
And let's see, here's version uh, 2.2 in 1995, March 30th with a 1.2.1 kernel. These are the very early days, and Slackware 2.3 was released in 95. And we progress forward. I won't read through all these. There's just so many of them. Uh, by 1999, in October 25th, we were up to Slackware 7. And then we're finally at the 2.2.13 kernel. And I remember running a lot of 2.2 and 2.4 kernels back in those days. Those were, those were very interesting days down there 20 years ago. Well, over 20 years ago, actually, now, isn't it? Um, let's see. We move forward. Uh, it was in the 90s when Patrick Volkerdink, the owner and, and uh, producer of Slackware, moved from version 4 he released in 1999 on May 17th all the way to version 7 on 1999, October 25th, because he felt the version numbers weren't reflecting um, the progress of Slackware compared to other distributions. It was a marketing decision. So you won't find a Slackware 5 or a 6 in, um, in the reference. Then we move forward to um, Slackware 10, which is released in 2004, uh, July, no, June 23rd, and that had a 2.4.26 kernel. Uh, moving forward to Slackware 11, released in 2006, October 2nd, uh, still with a 2.4.33.3 kernel. There, there was quite a long span there of 2.4 kernels from version uh, 8.1 of Slackware all the way up to version 11. Uh, they were all using the same um, kernel 2.4 series. Then with um, version 12, they went to a 2.6.21.5 kernel in 2007 in July at first. And um, moving forward, we'll just jump forward to Slackware 13.37 released in April 27th of 2011. And he jumped to a 2.6.17 kernel. Or no, 2.6.37, excuse me, I can't read kernel. This is all from the wiki. Um, Slackware 14 was released in 2012 and the 14 series was 14, 14, 1 and 14, 2 and 14 was released in 2012, September 28th with a 3.2.29 kernel and we finally got out of the 2 series of kernels went to the 3. Um, and I remember that was a big deal when they jumped from the two 2x to the three series kernels. And then with 14.2, he had a 4.4.14 kernel, which was the last slack where we all ran some four or five years ago, four years ago. And, uh, well, actually five years ago, six years ago. 2016 was when 14.2 was released uh, in June 30th of 2016. So, um, that was, boy, that was quite a long time ago, wasn't it? And, of course, now we're on Slackware 15. That has jumped to a 5.15.19 kernel, Linux kernel. And uh, it has FFmpeg in it now, so we don't have to compile FFmpeg anymore. 
there's been so many improvements to it. The distribution is uh, over three and a half gigs, the DVD size, approaching four gigs in size, probably with the next release, I'm sure. And um, he's throwing everything but the kitchen sink into this. I mean, it's it's almost like um, installing Ubuntu or something. I mean, everything's in here. Uh, there's very little left to compile. So we asked the question, what has Slackware done in almost 30 years of, of existence? Slackware being the oldest surviving, still-produced Linux distribution. It wasn't the first. Uh, there were, I think, two of them before it. SLS and um, Dragon something or another. I can't remember. I, I, I read about it in the 90s. There was some other Linux distribution. But they're both gone now. So Slackware is the oldest surviving Linux distribution. And in nearly 30 years' time, Slackware still uses a, a very simplistic text file-based operating system that uses BSD scripts or BSD-like scripts. You know, uh, no one can claim the right of ownership of what is a BSD in its script. I mean, because if you look at... Being a BSD user, an OpenBSD user anyway, OpenBSD has their own, uh, NetBSD has their own, and so does FreeBSD. And I don't think there was ever a time when you could go back there and, and say, well, this was what a BSD script is. Uh, what we're talking about is a Net scripting that existed prior to um, SysV and Net, System 5 and Net, that uh, is in still, still in use today. And SysV init is uh, unique and separate from the BSD init system. You know, SysV init's what Debian used to use and Red Hat used to use back in the 90s. So, Slackware tries to remain as much unchanged from its original release in April of 1993 as possible. Over the years, it has added things to um, the system. Um, and I have a list of, of things that were added here uh, in the wiki. Uh, for instance, uh, in uh, version 3.0 of November 30th of 1995, Slackware finally transitioned from an A out uh, executable and linkage format ELF. Uh, to, I mean, to an executable and linkage format ELF um, uh, in version 3.0, which was uh, in 1995. And I, I can remember working with that in my house when I was learning Slackware uh, and learning the C language. Slackware added uh, KDE uh, to its distribution. On May 17, 1999, with version 4, they added the GNOME desktop with version 7.1 on uh, June 22nd of 2000. Um, they added the Mozilla browser uh, with Slackware version 8 in July 1st of 2001. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, they switched from the OSS sound system to ALSA 
in September 26 of 2003 with version 9.1. They switched from the X-Free86 server to the X-Org server for your desktop applications with uh, Slackware 10 uh, released in June 23rd of 2004. Then in uh, with Slackware 10.2 in September 14th of 2005, they removed GNOME. So GNOME had been in there from uh, June 22nd of 2000 to um, uh, September 14th of 2005, ending with Slackware 10.2 because... Um, Patrick just couldn't keep up with it. You know, it was getting to be too much of a problem. Too much of a mess. And, you know, with as much effort as they put into keeping KDE Plasma in Slackware, I'm surprised that hasn't been pulled too, frankly. Um, The first release offered of Slackware on DVD, in other words, they moved from CD-ROMs to DVD. And originally, uh, by the way, when I bought my box of Slackware, the very first box... It had uh, install floppies, but it also had a CD-ROM. You could in, you could install from a CD-ROM. So I considered that to be really modern for the day, you know, back in 1993, the fall of 93. I mean, I thought that was ultra cool because uh, they just came out with the uh, CD-ROM technology for computers, I, I believe that year or, you know, pretty close to that year. That was back in an era where um, everybody built their own vanilla PC because if you went to Dell or Compaq or IBM to buy one, you're going to shell out six grand. And uh, I didn't have that kind of cash back then, and very few people did. And if you did have that kind of cash, you were probably running Windows anyway. You didn't give a damn about slack work. Uh, let's see what else here. Oh, um, with Slackware 13, released in August 26 of 2009, they um, added 64-bit version. Uh, I guess they, they finally offered a, a 64-bit version of Slackware and switched from KDE 3.5 to the 4X series. So Slackware makes little movements in desktops and... Um, Stuff like that. And, and, of course, a major move going to a 64-bit version. They'd been 32-bit before that. Um, let's see. Uh, they offer GPT, GPT Disk Sport and the Butter File System, BTRFS, with uh, Slackware 1337, uh, which was released on April 27th of 2011. And Slackware 1337, that was a very special, mystical uh, version number that Patrick picked for uh, that release based on his, uh, uh, (laughs) I don't want to call it religious belief, but whatever. They added the network manager and removed HAL, uh, and I remember HAL, God, that was simply awful, merged into UDEV with Slackware 14 in September 28th of 2012. So Slackware is very slow moving. You know, um, Network Manager, I believe, had been available on um, on Red Hat, if I'm not mistaken, uh, like at the turn of the century or, or pretty close to it. 
they've added support for UEFI hardware with Slacker 14.1, released in November 4th of 2013. Uh, they added Pulse Audio, finally, um, in uh, with Slacker 14.2. I remember that. That was a big deal, you know, because you were using Alsa before that. And, you know, uh, even um, OpenBSD doesn't have Alsa yet, they, but they do have Pulse Audio support. And, of course, the uh, current Slackware that has FFmpeg in it and um, all kinds of video codecs and stuff that used to be illegal to, um, to distribute on uh, Linux distribution, even though... We all know for the last 20 years, Red Hat, Ubuntu, and everybody else, you know, uh, throughout time in the last 20 years has been offering VLC, FFmpeg, and, and everything, even Gen 2. You could just compile it up. So, anyway, Slackware is a very slow moving operating system as far as development goes um, compared to the others. So, the question comes up, why would anyone want to run Slackware? Well, one of the things that comes to mind uh, is if you're running a another distribution like Red Hat, let's say back at the turn of the century, or OpenSUSE or Debian or anything, and, and let's say they throw out an update that breaks something in your system, well, you're pretty well screwed. And with Slackware... You compile your own applications on the system, and when you compile them, they're there forever. No one's going to touch them. Because the only thing that Slackware updates through its Slack package system is the base operating system. In other words, what came on the DVD that you originally installed. So, <clears throat> basically with Slackware, it's like you're writing on a surfboard in Hawaii. The surfboard being uh, what you're standing on, which is Slackware. It is the DVD as you're coming into the beach, and Patrick Volkerdink is supporting that surfboard to make sure it runs right. And anything you bring on board, a cooler, a, a boombox stereo, a microphone, so you can sing out to the crowds as you come in on your wave there in the Hawaiian beach, that's all stuff that you put on Slackware, and it will not be touched by Patrick Volkerdink or the Slackware team. Unlike if you're running Red Hat or OpenSUSE or one of the other distributions, Ubuntu, Debian, that offer you package updates, you see they do all the work. And you don't do anything. So if they screw up something upstairs and send it downstairs to you, you're stuck with it until they fix it. That's one of the reasons that people run Slackware, why I like Slackware, is not only is it BSD and is set up like a BSD operating system where you have a base that's supported by different people from the applications, as within OpenDSD, as within NetBSD, as within uh, FreeBSD or Dragonfly. Slackware is the same way. It's perhaps the only Linux distribution that I'm aware of that separates the base operating system from the user's applications in responsibility of who does them. All the other Linux distributions throw all that in one pool. So you're stuck with whatever the, you know, the dis distribution leaders hand to you. And you, you need to hope that it works. And if it doesn't, again, you're screwed. 
Now with Slackware, if something gets screwed up because I compiled something wrong or deleted something or did something wrong, I get to fix it. I own my own operating system above the base operating system. I, I'm in control of all my applications. So whatever I put on here will always be on here unless I screw it up. I am responsible for my own operating system. And, um, you know, you can have a Slackware distribution like 14.2 sitting there on a laptop for quite literally four or five years and be supported. You know, he'll send you patches to the base operating system to keep you your security up for four or five years. And you can sit there and run that, run that thing that you compiled four or five years ago, VLC, um, Audacity, play music, uh, use G Potter, you know, whatever. It's all going to be there for four or five years because nobody's touching it. It's not moving. It's not going to change. It'll never get broken. And that has worked out just fine. Um, it's, it's worked out fine for a great many people and they like it that way. They don't want their applications to be updated and broken. You know, if you have a VLC player that's working, why change it? Because really, they haven't offered any new functionality in the multimedia for probably 10 years, I'm guessing. And I'm probably going to get some comments over that uh, comment that I just made about VLC. But for, for the common user, uh, there's no video or audio format that you couldn't play with a player from 10, 12 years ago. Today. You know, if I had... Uh, a Slackware box set up that I, I set up in 2007. I could play uh, any MP3 or AUG file or MP4 file that was available then or available today without any problem using that, you know, 12, 13, 14, 50 year old system. So that's that's one reason why people use Slackware is you own your own system. You know, you you have control of your own system. No one will be uh, kicking over your, your work that you've done on your operating system. You know, your applications, they won't be interfering with your production because they can't. You're the one that puts the applications on there. They don't. So when you've got something set up and it works right, you can keep it for years. Now, Slackware is also um, one of the first operating systems that I'm aware of that's offered support to the base system for five years or more. In fact, I was sitting here looking through the wiki and they were claiming on some of his versions he'd, he'd actually provided patches for 10 years. That's a long time. You know, to, to, to offer patches for close to 10 years. I don't think any other Linux distribution has, has come close to that. You know, to keep your security up and, and reliability patches, what have you. I happen to have here Slackware 15 installed on a 2007 era uh, IBM Lenovo laptop. This is a really expensive machine. I think I gave uh, a little over two grand for it back then. And that was a lot of money. It has an NVIDIA card built into it from back then. Uses the Bumblebee driver. I'm not currently using it at the moment. It has a huge 17-inch screen. Very pretty screen. 
DVD burner, of course, and uh, uh, three or four USB plug-ins, and um, it's got an old ATA drive from the era. You know, it's not a modern drive. It has one of the original trackpads with separate left and right clickers on it, and an old mechanical keyboard, just like the original ThinkPads had, only this is in a... Uh, a G-series Lenovo laptop product, business model. It's got it's got a glass top to it. It's very nice, and it's still in great condition, except for the trackpad, which has got some fingernail damages from the squirrel. You know, squirrel claws are, are hard on a trackpad. But other than that, it's beautifully lit up. There's all kinds of pretty lights on the front of it, and on the, uh, the top of the unit, it has a uh, numeric keypad and a full, full keyboard on it. It also runs OpenBSD, by the way, perfectly because of the old trackpad, because OpenBSD doesn't work well with I2C trackpads of modern computers. Not yet, anyway. And the I2C controller keyboards and stuff like that. <clears throat> by the way, I tried running uh, the current version of MX Linux 21.1 on here, and I couldn't get it to work with the trackpad. I mean, it would move the mouse a little bit on the screen, but it was really hard to control, and I could tell there was obviously something wrong, and I'm going to just knock that up and say they've got the, the newer distributions already set up for I2C that are Debian derivatives or Ubuntu derivatives. They're, they're already set up for I2C, so they're not going to run right with the, the older systems that aren't under, under I2C, and so that causes a problem. Now, Slackware 15 happens to run beautifully with this old laptop. This modern Slackware 15 runs beautifully, and the trackpad works flawlessly. It's, it's nice and glassy smooth, and uh, it responds to both the click keys and also a tap to the main pad. And I don't have a track point on this. I wish I did. Uh, this particular model doesn't have a track point, but... If you did, it would be able to handle that as well, um, beautifully. Uh, unfortunately, this old model has a Broadcom-based Wi-Fi in it, which requires a um, a special Win driver that Linux used to support back in 2007. Uh, they offered a, um, and I forget what they called it, but uh, they had a module that would wrap around a Windows-based binary firmware blob to make it work for Linux, and I believe they've quit supporting that. And uh, so what I have purchased uh, for this laptop is a uh, USB plug-in Wi-Fi antenna. And I don't mean dongle, I mean large antenna, the size of a, a CB walkie-talkie antenna. It's huge. And it sits here at the edge of the bed. I'm sitting on the bed right now doing this podcast and um, eating cookies and drinking coffee and, and Pepsi. <laughs> and uh, this, this large antenna gives me excellent range for OpenBSD and uh, for um, Slackware Linux. I've also chosen uh, personally to install the 32-bit version of Slackware Linux not the 64, because uh, I don't have any use for 
and don't like uh, that much the um, uh, some of the options that you can get with 64-bit. Uh, and I don't like the way 64-bit runs, frankly. I think 32-bit's a lot smoother and it runs better. Uh, I've had 64-bit on this laptop. You know, it supports the trackpad and everything like you would expect it to. But, you know, as far as flat, back, flat packs go, I have to ask the question, gee, why do I even need to run flat packs? Perhaps the only thing that you'd get out of it that you couldn't get normally might be um, support for some of the uh, the social websites um, that people go to, like Discord, which I don't go to. So it's up to you. I mean, if you if you need support for flat packs, you're going to want to run the 64-bit the version of Slackware. But for me, I don't see any use to it. Um, I already have Audacity programmed or compiled on here in a 32-bit mode. And uh, VLC and MPV and everything. Even though I didn't need it. GVC View, OBS Studio. All that stuff is already compiled and set up here. And I noticed when I was on 64-bit Slackware with some flat packs. The uh, drop-down controls on things like... Um, audacious wouldn't even drop down i mean um you click on them and you couldn't access the menu list i don't really like flat packs that much you know I'm, maybe they run better with with other operating systems but i'm not that crazy about flat packs if you in slackware you know why install a flat pack when you can just compile what you need of course the other thing that you're going to be missing running a 32-bit Linux distro is you won't be able to run Chrome or Chromium. And for me, I still don't care. And that also means you probably won't be running Brave because it's based on Chromium. But I could compile Pale Moon on here, which is a nice lightweight browser, and Dello. And uh, I was thinking there's one more that we can compile, but I can't remember the name of it right now. I haven't run it in, in a number of years. Um, but there's at least one more browser that you have an option of compiling that will work under 32-bit. Um, so, yeah, 32-bit software is the same operating system venue that Slackware 1 was released under the box set that I bought. It's, Slackware was a 32-bit operating system from day one. So was Linux in general, you know, the kernel. It was 32-bit from day one. And back in 1993, that was also a huge deal. Because uh, most of us were running Windows, and Windows was, I believe, just a 16-bit operating system at that time. And um, Windows wasn't really a, a multitasking, multi-user operating system either. Whereas Slackware Linux was multitasking and multi-user from day one in 32-bit. Which means you could have more than one person working on the computer through a dumb terminal at the same time you were using it. And uh, it would run multiple programs for each user, and, and everything would work fine. Which you could never say of anything from DOS and Windows land. That would never be true. It also offered security and separation between the users, which was fantastic for the time. And uh, that's what excited me so much about it, that uh, uh, I, I loved about it. Uh, the possibility of having my own 
commercial Unix-like operating system at my house running on a 486 computer, which is what I had back then, uh, which would be kind of slow. And it was slow for Slackware, but it did work. And it was cool. It was very cool. Now, I've got this 32-bit Slackware 15 operating system installed on the Lenovo. One of the sad things about running a 32-bit operating system is the world is trying to phase out 32-bit operating systems now and make them all 64 because all the newer laptops will be UEFI only. <clears throat> and uh, that means that you can't run Slackware 15 32-bit on those machines because you have to run 64-bit to get UEFI support. And... Uh, you also can't run things like ZFS on 32-bit support. I mean, there's, there is a growing list of software options that are going to be 64-bit only. It's not just Chrome and Chromium or, and, say, Brave. But there, <clears throat> for instance, uh, uh, the Tor browser, for a while there, was 64-bit only. But I happen to have the Tor browser, thanks to Slack Builds, compiled in 32-bit mode, and it's working on this machine and I thought they had done away with that but apparently uh, they didn't it's it's uh, it's you can still get it compiled for 32-bit and it works just fine well, I thought I'd just go through my menu here I'm running the KDE desktop and it's plasma 5 I forget which version but I want to go through the menu here and just kind of look through the applications and I won't go through all the development applications. It's about the same development stuff that you found on previous Slacker models. Slightly beefed up. There might be a few more items in here that you didn't get from Slacker 14.2. I won't go through them. Um, and the usual number of games. But one thing I did find out interesting, aside from FFmpeg being offered as standard on the new Slackware, which was an absolute no-no on Slackware 14.2 in previous versions because of, you know, the the copyright laws and patent laws and all that crap. Uh, we, we find that Patrick Volkerdink has put on here uh, Caden Live. Caden Live is standard. Uh, simple Screen Recorder is standard. You don't have to compile that. Um... There are several video and other MP3, MP4 playing pieces of software which you've never seen in previous distributions. So there's quite a bit of multimedia codecs uh, that's included with Slackware 15 that we didn't see on previous releases of Slackware. You had to compile your own software if you wanted MP4 support or MP3 support on previous versions of Slackware. And typically, most people would use slackbuilds.org as the website to get the sources and recipes for making that software work on Slackware. Um, I've compiled LibreOffice, for instance, on here, and it has uh, the most modern version available, and Calibri's on here, which uh, I installed from their website, YouTube Downloader. I installed from the YouTube Downloader website. Um, so 
Yeah, it has the most modern, um, they offer the most modern Libra office from Slack builds that you would find on the new OpenBSD 7.1, which I just installed this week and I upgraded from 7.0 to 7.1. So OpenBSD doesn't have as much software as Slack builds does, but everything that they do have is the most modern version you can get. Another thing that I'll note is um, Patrick apparently added to Slackware 15 as something they call poor man's internet radio, which I thought was a, a live internet radio streams program, which is a, a console-based program that runs in a terminal, and it's very cool, and I was playing with it, and I, I love to play internet radio, so anyway, that's all set up for you. And uh, I like that program. It's 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 sweet. I use MP3 Blaster, by the way, uh, quite a bit uh, when I play uh, podcasts and stuff. If I, uh, but my typical player, by the way, is XMMS, and XMMS is becoming hard to find in other distributions. And they have all the skins for XMMS, and I've always felt that XMMS was more beautiful. Uh, than the audacity or, or audacious, excuse me, a player that they have today to replace it with. And uh, so I still run XMMS. So if, if you have an old application that you like and you don't want to lose and you want to keep running it, Slackware might be the only way to get it other than maybe go to Arch, I guess. One other cool thing I found out too uh, while I was upgrading OpenBSD is Slackbills offers Signify. Uh, there's a build for Signify which came from OpenBSD. So you can get their uh, Signify public keys from OpenBSD and Signify and verify uh, downloads from OpenBSD. You know, your your uh, install files and your, your firmware and everything is all Signified. So... It, you can use that to verify OpenBSD material. You can also use Signify to create your own key and sign your own packages, which Slack builds could do, or um, Slackware could do, and have uh, signed and checksummed packages just like Red Hat and Debian would have. Uh, currently, Slack package is the only way you get upgrades for the base system on uh, Slackware, and I believe that has a checksum to it and a GPG key already. So they have, uh, I guess, basically the functional equipment is, uh, equivalent. It's, it's, and they've been using that for years. But uh, Signify is is just super cool. Uh, you can Signify anything. Anyway, I would recommend. Um, I wouldn't turn my nose up at 32-bit Slackware. In fact, I believe that uh, Patrick will make a 32-bit version of Slackware available for several more releases before they finally probably have to drop it, if they ever drop it. In fact, I'm of the belief that uh, there'll probably be some companies that will be making some Pentium-class type systems, maybe AMD-based, who knows. Certainly within the ARM community, even in the 64-bit ARM um, there will be uh, people who will be using operating systems without UEFI. And uh, I'm not that crazy about UEFI. I'm also not that crazy about System D, and I'll talk about that for a minute. As you all know, System D took over 
all the other distributions with the exception of Gen 2 and uh, Void Linux and Slackware and I think damn little else uh, Dev1 of course doesn't use SystemD um, they give you three options for init systems over there SysVinit um, what is it init RC or something like that and then the last one is run it um, if you recall one of the big selling points that they made to us years ago about system D was that it'll be make it easier for system administrators to control servers and that the turnaround time for servers would be much faster because system D boots so much quicker and I know you're all having a laugh right now as I say that as I'm having a laugh because you know now that four or five years have gone by we noticed that Virtually all of the operating system providers that provide a Linux with SystemD, with the exception of RHEL, I think RHEL is the only one that still does it right, um, their boot-up times have gotten worse than Slackware 32 here. I can get this box up to a desktop faster than you can get Ubuntu running. And uh, that's because the people that make these operating systems have just quit bothering to tune system d from release to release when they, they put them out and it's become bloated piggish and um, it's uh, a trash truck going up the street that's that's what a system d distribution's like to me nowadays it's it's one of their bright ideas that just turned to cow shit so again um in my opinion slackware wins hands down is still <clears throat> probably the best Linux distribution you can have because you're not going to find one not even with an arch that will allow you to have this much control over your operating system I mean when arch doesn't update your system will break even if it's a package from the AUR you are helpless until somebody fixes it Gen 2 same way Void Linux, they try to, to test everything that they, they have, but Void Linux doesn't have the packages that you could put on Slackware. You can use the AUR as a, a packaging system and make packages for Slackware, by the way. It's possible. People are doing it. Uh, you can also install Geeks, the Geeks version uh uh, that will run as a foreign operating system within your operating system. And I could even run GNOME 3 as a desktop on Slackware, even in the 32-bit version, if I installed Geeks. I may try that again. I did that, uh, what, two, three years ago and made a video of it on my uh, my video channel. Uh, you can also um, use the... Um, um, ports and packages from NetBSD and uh, install applications that way if you want, you know, compile your own applications. So there's a multitude of ways to do it, including just doing it by hand. You, know, you just download the source code from Git and have at it, Hoss. Uh, all of Slackware's package management system is based on a TarGZ format. So the, the binaries go in as a, a TGZ with install package and um, that's how we have accountability uh, for packages installed on Slackware 
really this the system is very primitive and it, it hasn't evolved much in uh, the over 20 years it hasn't evolved much but um, it works and it's as good as any of the other distributions packaging systems believe it or not it does everything the other versions packaging systems does it it has a gpg key signed you know thing and and it it does a checksum well at least it does a gpg signing of the um of the catalog i don't know if it does it of every package but every package has a checksum at least i'm, I'm pretty sure if they use signify they'd have both on everything and that would work to their advantage There is a long list over history of Linux distributions that are based on Slackware. Uh, first and foremost would be Salix OS, which is an XFCE-based distribution, desktop-based distribution on Slackware that has its own pre-compiled application software database for the users so they don't have to compile their own software. And it claims here that they have a KDE version, LXDE, Fluxbox, Rep Poison. I don't know if they have all those now or not in 32 and 64-bit versions, but I know for sure they have XSCE. Um, Vector Linux is based on Slackware. Uh, Zenwalk is based on Slackware. And that distribution is also XFCE-based for desktop. But it uses the SysV in that system. I think that's their um, big difference. Uh, there's a whole list of them here. If you if you just type in list of Linux distributions based on Slackware, a lot of them are dead because a lot of them come and go. Uh, for instance, uh, Slacks used to be based on software, and now it's based on uh, used to be based on Slacks used to be based on Slackware, but it's now based on uh, on uh, Debian. So it kind of fell off. And then there's Zip Slack and some of the others that have come and gone. I used to use a free software version of the 32-bit Slackware 14.2 uh, called uh, Conishay OS. And that has come and gone. The um, distribution provider decided he wasn't going to do that anymore. Uh, there used to be a free Slacks project that renamed themselves to Freenix. And I don't know if they're coming out with a, a Slackware 15 based Phoenix or not. Um, I saw somebody on their, um, their forum asking about it and, and, and volunteering to help, but no one responded to him. So I'm assuming that the Phoenix project right for right now, if they're not hip deep in it, maybe it's dead. I don't know. I don't see any activity on their website that indicates that they're, they're working on it. But that was a, um, a based on Slackware only. It was blob free, you know, a, a totally free operating system that had no proprietary binaries in it at all. Slackware has a few proprietary packages and blobs that it distributes, which would just barely disqualify it from being a free operating system. Uh, it couldn't make the Free Software Foundation's list. So uh, they came up with the idea of coming up with uh, the Free Slacks, Freenix, and Conishay OS ideas 
uh, and uh, we'll see if they they bring him back. I like again. I know Kanache OS is dead. I don't know if Freenix is dead or not. We'll see. Whether you use the 32-bit version of Slackware 15 or the 64, uh, there are instructions on the DVD which will help you create a fully encrypted install on your hard drive to protect your data in case your uh, laptop gets stolen. And also instructions for how to use uh, UEFI computers and install the um, UEFI uh, partition EF00 uh, to make that work. Slackware is also uh, probably the only distribution that I know of that allows you to uh, say make an encrypted install using Luke's LVM and run it with the Butter file system which is something that I wish Linux Mint would finally come out with to have an encrypted install that used the Butter file system instead of ext4 and God only knows why they're not doing that. But they're not. Uh, DevOne, they only allow installation in EXT4. So I guess they're having some issues with it. I don't have any issue with that running Slackware. So Slackware is capable uh, due to its simplicity of doing some of the harder things easier than the other distributions because they keep tripping over themselves with their own code bases, system D, um, and, and whatnot. Uh, that's just causing them problems, like their disk installers that are really hard to write. Uh, when you install Slackware, it is a very much human-involved process. There's nothing that's really automatic or automated about it, very little anyway. Uh, so you have a lot of control over how you install the operating system to your laptop or your desktop, how you choose to do it and what you're going to install on, you know, how everything's going to work together. I mean, it, it offers the maximum amount of flexibility and it's the easiest to use, in my opinion, even easier than Archer Gen 2 by far when it comes to installs it's, or void. It's... It's much simpler to create a complex install environment with Slackware than any other distribution on the face of the planet. That's a fact. A final selling point on Slackware. If you're a developer, of course, it has uh, probably the most serious and intensive number of developer tools and compilers of any distribution on the planet, which are installed uh, as part of the base system if you install the packages. It is as severe and as beefy and as battleship-like as OpenBSD is. OpenBSD, man, they provide you with everything. And I think Slackware actually beats OpenBSD uh, because it has the LLVM clang as well as it does the uh, GCC compiler and all the goodies from GNU land. It's, it's the best of all worlds. Uh, Slackware is is the uh, the only Linux distribution that I'm aware of that gives you a full set of development tools upon install. Uh, whether you're talking about Git um, or um, LLVM Clang or GCC or um, G Fortran Fortran compiling or COBOL COBOL's in there somewhere. Uh, I just compiled Mono the other night from Slack Builds. 
you can get that and of course there's Java all kinds of Java you can install um, yeah you can really beef up a slackware box but the, the base install that you get off the DVD it doesn't I, I don't know if it has Java on or not I, I know it doesn't have mono I don't think but it's it's got probably more compilers and development tools and, and stuff on that than um, than any of the other BSDs or Linuxes you can point to. Oh, excuse me. Um, you know it's funny, but Arch doesn't provide you with any development tools. You have to go download everything that you need. Gen two pretty much the same way because Gen two will only. Um, bring forth a compiler or something if it needs it it doesn't provide you with a complete layout Perl and python and everything uh you know it, it doesn't it doesn't give you ruby or any of that stuff unless you build it and request it slackware gives you all of that stuff right off the dvd uh from your first minute of using the operating system you have a world of tools at your hands and that's important especially if you're using an operating system where you're going to be compiling all the software you're going to use you're going to need all the compilers you know i really like the older generation of hardware like this old lenovo uh because it's built so much better and the keyboard feels so much better all the modern computers in my opinion they totally suck i mean they just suck outright and that, that's not because they don't offer you a CD, DVD, reader, writer. Um, even though that would be nice, they're trying to obsolete all that technology. But speaking of which, Slackware install media can be burned to a DVD. Uh, it's too big for a CD-ROM. Slackware 15, I believe, is the first release that, that doesn't offer CD-ROM images anymore. Those are gone. So you have to burn a DVD or... You can just DD the entire image to a USB stick drive, a little thumbstick drive, and install it from that in either the 32-bit or 64-bit modes. So you have those two options, as well as um, uh, creating a, a little tiny installer uh, that will work off of the Internet if you have a network connection that you can install Slackware with. You can do that, too. So in that regard, it covers everything that OpenBSD does in their installers because OpenBSD will install from a hard drive. If you have your base files on the hard drive, so will Slackware. It'll install from FTP or HTTP, HTTPS over the internet, or it'll install from a, CD, a DVD drive, or of course, as I just mentioned, the USB thumbstick. You can you have several options that you can use to install Slackware Linux. And so it's very flexible with its um, uh, hand-drawn installer. There are a few other issues I want to talk about. For instance, uh, with um, with Slackware, of course, you don't have Systemd. It's the BSD init scripts, and they use their own version of UDEV that uh, has been developed by other teams from from other operating systems. Slackware doesn't actually develop any software, by the way. They just use uh, the software that's available out on the internet and try to make it work with the next version of Slackware. And um, it's because they're continuing on supporting operating systems out there in the community that are not systemd-based 
that I have firm belief that I don't think they'll ever eliminate 32-bit software either for the same reason because there are too many vendors that are going to provide you with chipsets and motherboards for machines that don't have UEFI that can run 32-bit software. And I, I predict it'll be around 20 years from now. It'll be like um, spark boxes. You know, there'll be people that'll be able to, to get a machine that will run a 32-bit Slackware distribution 20 years from now. And I, I predict that's going to be true. The other thing I want to say that's good about 32-bit is it doesn't have the uh, vulnerabilities that 64-bit Linux has with uh, Spectre attacks because they never did resolve the Spectre attack issue with all of the Intel chips, including the ones that's in this very Lenovo that I'm using. But if you're using a 32-bit version of Linux, you don't have to worry about it because you're not vulnerable. So this 32-bit version of Slackware, since I am a security-oriented person and I run OpenBSD, this 32-bit version of Slackware is actually safer to run than the 64-bit because of that. Because eventually, someday in the future, they'll exploit the Spectre um, vulnerabilities in all the processors, and this will become an issue for everybody that's not on an ARM chip. Because I believe ARM is the only one that is not vulnerable in a 64-bit version because their uh, CPU is designed a different way to, to not be vulnerable. But if you're running 32-bit Linux of any kind, whether it be Dev1 or Slackware, or um, I don't think they make a 32-bit RHEL anymore. I think they discontinued that. But uh, there may be a few other instances of 32-bit software, perhaps Gen 2. Uh, I don't know if Void Linux has a 32-bit or not. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. can't remember. And Arch, I don't know. I'm not really up on Arch. But there are certainly a, a few um, software vendors that are still offering some 32-bit support. Slackware isn't the only one. And if you're running 32-bit Linux... Uh, you're in better shape um, against those kind of attacks than the 64-bit people are. Uh, OpenBSD is the only distribution that I'm aware of that has resolved that on a 64-bit issue. They're the only ones that, that cannot be attacked uh, from a Spectre attack. OpenBSD, by the way, is also the only operating system in the world that has 64-bit time, which is also just jaw-dropping to me that no one else in all this time in, in a decade has even attempted to come up with their own 64-bit time in Linux. I, I'm assuming they're still working on it, but uh, time is running out for you folks. The other thing I like about old Lenovo equipment or old IBM equipment is you can always get it rebuilt. You can either do it yourself or uh, go to somebody and just pay to have it rebuilt. And I need to replace the uh, DVD CD-ROM burner in this because it's quit working uh, a few years ago. Uh, but other than that, I can expand um, the memory in this particular unit up to 16 gigabytes. It currently has only 6 gigabytes in it, which is more than enough to you know, do what I need. You might ask uh, why I didn't pull the Broadcom Wi-Fi out of here and change it out with something more compatible and generic. And that's because I'm worried that it might not boot because a lot of the biases uh, were uh, set up um, 
this particular box does have a UEFI switch in it. I could go to UEFI, but some of the, the laptops wouldn't boot if you changed out the Wi-Fi card. It, it just screwed with the BIOS enough that it wouldn't. Uh, and I don't know that this one is, this particular Lenovo is compatible with um, any of the free BIOSes that are out there, the two free BIOSes that are out there that, that can be installed on on Lenovo hardware. don't know that it is. This is an i5-based machine, by the way, which was, at the time, I believe, the hottest chip you could buy. I don't think the i7 was available, or it was... The i7 would be fixing to come out uh, a year or two after this thing was was um, put out in the market. So the, the i5 was really the hottest chip for um, a laptop at that time. They probably had some i7s on the desktop, but I don't think they had any on the, uh, the laptops. So, you know, if you're starting out in Linux, um, you could go out someplace and, and you know, use... A computer equipment store or a garage sale or whatever and find yourself one of these big big ass you know 17 inch laptops Lenovo get a new battery for it have the keyboard replaced or rebuilt cleaned out you know get a new DVD burner in it have the CPU repasted expand the memory on it and uh, they're great machines. I mean, the, the USB plugs on this thing, after all these years, are still tight. Uh, they work great, as opposed to the more modern machines where all the USB plug-ins, they get really loose, you know, and wobbly. And they're just horrible builds, you know. I don't even like the new Lenovo's because they, they don't use mechanical keyboards. Uh, they've got those bubble touch keyboards or whatever you want to call it and they, they don't feel right and um well i understand there lenovo is supposed to be making a, a new laptop that's uh based on the the thinkpad line from you know years ago but i haven't heard any reviews on it or anything maybe somebody could do one if they they have one and talk about it but uh, generally, I'm very depressed about all the new laptops and hardware. I mean, compared to the, the older laptops from 15 years ago, they I don't see anything that really excites me or uh, feels of quality, you know. And I'm not looking for the world's lightest laptop. I'm just looking for the one that's the best built because that's the one that's going to last the longest. You know, carrying this dude around in a... Um, a, um, a hammock bag as I walk out to the car and go over to a friend's house or whatever, no problem. I mean, it, it weighs more, but um, it's not like I'm carrying an anvil in a bag or something. You know, it's not that damn bad. So anyway, that's my talk about Slackware Linux and um, Slackware 15 and 32-bit operating systems. And I hope I've... Um, been able to persuade at least a few of you to uh, maybe go back to the old ways, the old ways of the old squirrels. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, you click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com. 
the Internet Archive and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.